Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, thank you for that intro, Mark. Um, for those of you who can't see the video, which none of you will, that um, was um, throwing, throwing, throwing to me. Vet Gurus here, Brendan, with Mark, episode 182, March the 19th, 2021. Mark, what a what a couple of weeks it's been. We just had a bit of a chat off air about death, didn't we? Um, <laughs> As we do. Long-term, long-term patients that we've seen from, well, from the cradle to the grave or from the, from the basket to the grave, from the, from the, from the, what would we say, from the bird's nest to the grave perhaps. So animals that we've seen for their whole lifetime virtually, and I've had three, I've had four now, Mark, of um, very old canines, old dogs that I've put down over the last week or so, one nineteen, as I mentioned, one seventeen, one fifteen, and I think the other one was around about that vintage as well. Bittersweet, isn't it, Mark? It's uh, animals I've seen for since they were very, very young and um, nursing them through their latter stages of life and all of them had issues that we had them on long-term medications and we kept them plugging away for a while but quite emotional euthanasias um, with the clients and I've as we mentioned before watching that watching not only the animals grow up but the um, the owner's kids grow up and get to school and get out of school etc and um, it's a um, it's good but it's well, it's good, isn't it? I think it's a positive thing that we can um, we retain the clients for that length of time, we retain the patients, and we keep them going for that length of time, and um, doesn't make it any easier, does it? At the end, you're a glass half full person, Brendan. There is a bad thing about it. That the bad thing is that we're old, that we that we, <laughs> that we um, have been doing this stuff for so long that we've accrued. You know, I, when we were talking about this before, I was thinking. Of two examples, one um, one of my wonderful golden retriever clients, who I'm now up to um, their fourth puppy. Each of their dogs has gotten into that sort of mid-teens. Um, we've done the full life cycle, and um, and yeah, and and now we're up to the the fourth generation. And as you said, um, if you stick in the game long enough, you'll get to see the kids grow up as you go through the generations of pets. And then you have the pleasure of the kids coming in with their pets once they leave home. Um, yes, or, or you have the kids left home and, the, and typically the parents are dumped with the animals <laughs> that the kids had. Reverse inheritance, we call that. Yes, that's right. It's it's um, not uncommon at all, is it? But um, but it is yes. a privilege. It is genuinely a privilege to be able to um, to experience that full life cycle with the owners and ensure um, at all stages, but particularly at the end, as you highlighted, Brendan, that um, we can do things that uh, that first of all maximise the quality of life for as long as possible, but then very often. Um, we're facilitating a um, uh, uh, an appropriate um, death, uh, a true death, a euthanasia, um, at at a time before 
uncontrollable suffering occurs. And, and all that um, uh, is, is a genuine privilege, a genuine privilege of our profession. Absolutely. It's positive. Death can be positive, Mark. You say it with a um, – it is positive that we get the experience of um, seeing as veterinarians, I think we get a window on that life, that whole of life cycle that we see it repeatedly and we see the good that comes from it. Um, and it does hurt. The loss, there's no doubt. Um, for each of us as veterinarians and for every owner, there's that grief that comes with the sense of loss. Um, but um, but I think the dwelling at the time of loss on the positives that have come to us from having those pets in our lives, um, yeah, it, a privilege. I keep coming back to the same word. Yes, as a famous quote goes, Mark, I can't wait to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and it's true. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens after after I've gone to the other side, whichever side. <laughs> and speaking of survival, Mark, this has my segue here into my news story here. It's about Arctic squirrels. And the <laughs> title is, These Arctic Squirrels Recycle Bits of Their Own Bodies to Survive winter and it's about a study they've been doing on um sarah has been doing a biochemist from the university of alaska fairbanks looking at squirrels and the way that they maintain their body weight or try and decrease the um, decrease of their body weight by recycling muscle breakdown products mark um, they reported in nature metabolism another journal that i um can't wait to see on my doorstep, Mark. And they hibernate in, in bouts of deep torpor, Mark, and they their heartbeats go down to five beats per minute and they breathe once a minute and then they revive every day or so and their body temperatures come up and then they shiver and sleep and then they go back down again. And um, uh, one of the quotes from the researcher, she says, I worked in dark, cold chambers, utterly quiet, surrounded by hibernating squirrels. Periodically, I carefully withdrew blood from a tube inserted in their blood vessels. So she was studying the torpor of these um, squirrels, Mark, and they worked out that they they're, they're, they hang on to their muscle mass and they were trying to work out how they were doing that. Um, and they were tracking the flow of nitrogen um, throughout their body and they were working. Um, they were getting gave them a, a cocktail of isotopes to see what was happening with the nitrogen that was flowing around with them and how it was um, getting into the muscles and not getting out of their muscles, etc. Um, and the reason why they were doing this, Mark, the bottom line is that they are hoping that insights, and they haven't got to the end of their particular study, so they haven't really come to too many too many conclusions there, um, apart from the fact that the muscle's been broken down and then recycled directly back into a, a, a amino acids. And there is some thought that the gut microbiome also had a bit of um, um, help with, with helping them with their torpor, but they think it doesn't as much help as they used to think with that. Um, but the bottom line is I think that someday, Mark, it will help with space travel. When we're hibernating there, when we're um, 
hopefully when we wake up and uh, we haven't got an alien on board the ship, Mark, <laughs> after that long hibernation there. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's pretty amazing, the whole torpor, um, the, the brumation hibernation um, um, cycle, isn't it? And um, I'm sure that they'll, um, smarter people than us will certainly work out some of the, some of the more... Um, metabolites and the way all these th- things work and that they would then um, extrapolate that to humans um, to help us in the future. Um, would you like to hibernate, Mark? No, not at all. I'm perfectly – well, I, I, I echo your sentiment before. I'm in no rush to get to the, the um, end of my life, but I don't know that extending it by hibernating is um, actually like makes you live any longer. I mean, no, it makes you live longer. My, but my my question would be: Do you dream when you're hibernating no. or brumating? <laughs> That's you have the best questions. I don't think so. Judging judging by the bearded dragons I've seen brumating, I don't think they're dreaming anything. Well, I'm not going into brumation, Mark, because. I love my dreams. I say to Annie, my wife, every night, I say, I can't. It's like going to a movie marathon every night. I absolutely love it. I don't. And I have the most bizarre dreams, but I, I really enjoy it. And she, she gets very, very sick of me if I ever wake up and um, start telling her some detailed, bizarre, complex, convoluted story of a dream I just have. And she just says, shut up. slaps me around a bit and then i go back into my next dream so um, i enjoy my dreams i don't know what that says about me but i do enjoy my dreams can only say good things yes and that's a we've got a segue into our um, next story there mark Um, and when we talk about serendipity and dreams yes I know. Um, where our story is about James Dory, um, a researcher, an entomologist, um, who had the dream. He had the and dream. He's lucky. And he is lucky. <laughs> the, possibly, the, the article suggests, the luckiest researcher ever. Um, he, he was searching for one of our Australian native bees, and uh, the bee had not been sighted for a century. Um, he started walking on the edge of the rainforest just inland from Cairns near Atherton, and one just landed on a leaf nearby. <laughs> it was a pretty, you know, quick. Um, he does admit that he was embarrassingly excited. I don't know what that term means precisely, Brennan, but um, but when... He gave out a squeal, I think. <laughs> a little squeal. Um, so the Flinders researcher had gone to the area as part of his search for... Pharohylaeus lactiferous. Um, the latest recorded sighting was in 1923, and researchers had feared that the species was in, extinct. Uh, but fortunately, Mr. Dory, Mr. Dory, is it Mr. Dory? We're going to call him Mr. Dory. Um, I thought he would be Dr. Dory or uh, uh, Associate Professor Dory. Um, he said that that the the bees were mostly solitary. Um, they had preferences for particular flowers, um, and it's quite possible that they've just avoided areas where they might have been spotted easily. Um, and of course, uh, these bees don't. He, uh, not a lot is known about them, but they don't form colonies or hives like the honeybee. Um, they almost certainly uh, use. Uh, 
preformed holes, holes formed by other insects, um, to create little uh, single nests. Um, but honestly, he said, in all honesty, they're not sure. Um, he did manage, with some difficulty after the ease of the first one, um, to get 20 of the the, uh, the bees for study. Um, and, uh, geez, the... Researcher, just reading this uh, sentence. If if yeah, if you collect a few uh, samples of the bees, um, then there's a number of species where this happens, Brendan, where they they worried about their survival, so they collect a whole bunch of them and kill them. <laughs> I don't know what they do to them, but I'm suspicious they don't commit com- contribute to the wild population anymore after they've been collected. The um the fires probably uh you know a lot of those rainforests up there uh eighteen months ago when those uh fourteen months ago when the fires raged through in November and December twenty nineteen some of the um, rainforests up there were burnt for the first time in recorded history and uh, um, the, many of the rainforest species were probably badly affected. Um, but it is, it's um, interesting. I, I always worry about, um, particularly with rare bees, um, are they rare because only very few researchers um, like Mr. Dory are looking for them? Are they, or are they genu- genuinely rare, Brendan? Hey, has a sentence sort of uh, expressing the same sentiment in his paper, Mark. I've linked to the paper and um, you sent it to me from your personal collection there. Um, what is the journal? The journal is- of Hymenoptera Research. And it's it's one that you really need to concentrate when you're reading, but it's um, essential reading, isn't it? And I've lost the sentence, Mark. <laughs> and, okay. Um, yes. Uh yeah, he basically said this exactly the same. So you could have been a co-author in this paper. <laughs> uh, he said, are they generally rare or, or endangered or is it just we're not seeing them because they're quite secretive and they're hard to find because they're solitary bees and most of the native bees here in Australia are solitary bees and they don't form um, um, hives, etc. as you mentioned. Yeah, so, yeah. But how would that be if you, yeah, yes, it's, it's, it'd be like the Tasmanian tiger um, um, person um, sitting at a cafe and a Tasmanian tiger walks up to him or her. Um, Isn't that so. what happened? <laughs> <laughs> According to the fuzzy video, Mark, <laughs> I think it did. I think it did. <laughs> yes, good article, Mark, and uh, good to see that um, the bee is no longer extinct. It probably never was. Um 100 years it was the last time that they thought um, it was seen. Well, there we go. There are new stories. We should jump into our main topic, Mark, oh, because I did. Before we go to the main topic. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, we've got something very important to do. And that, and what is that? Oh, yes, it is. It is. No, I know what it is. It is reviewing a product that we were fortunate enough to to have sent to us. So the disclaimer is that we were given this product um, to review, and um, gee, it's excellent. And that is Talk A2. Um, you'd love the, the name for this um, particular product, I love Mark. the logo. I love the logo. It's a logo, yeah. yes. And what is the logo, Mark? It's a sulfur-crested cockatoo. 
Yes, it is. So what is Talker 2? It's a desktop dictation solution um, that's specifically targeted at veterinarians. Um, and we'll go into a little bit of depth with it um, as well because it's not just for use within practice software, which is what it's sort of um, aimed at, Mark, is it? Um, the, the beauty of this particular software is it can be used in any desktop application. Um, and I don't think I've found one that it won't work at. Anything that you can type in, I think you can use the Talker 2 app with, um, whether it's a PC or a Mac. And um, But it is specifically targeted um, as a as a basically a, a software dictation program that um, enables you to then ramble and rattle away um, and produce your clinical notes, Mark, at a very rapid, fast and accurate rate. And... Does it work, Mark? So I'm going to throw over to you. And um, you had a tiny bit of um, um, an issue setting it up, and that was more um, on our side rather than Talker 2's side, I think. Um, but once you got it going, Mark, um, what did you think of it? And we're going to, um, I've got a few um, thoughts on it myself, but yeah, I'll, I'll cross to you. Um, I, I was very, very pleased with it, Brendan. And, and it was a bit serendipitous because um, I'm bloody awful at. Um, getting my records done well and so we're always looking for ways at work that will make it easier for me um, and we had just before we got uh, uh, um, the the uh, uh, software sent to us we'd been talking about um, doing this exact thing so I was well primed for it um, and as you said I had a little bit you know being a gumby not like you you're an IT whiz I'm I'm a bit of a clod hopper around the computer and it did take me a little bit of time to uh, get it all set up but once it is set up um, uh, it worked very very well um, interestingly enough it even worked over our remote desktop setup so I could have the talker 2 app on my computer at home login to work over the internet through remote desktop and write my records that when you know uh, dictate my records in that way so um, it is as you indicated very adaptable um, and works across uh, circumstances that i'd thought it would struggle so that's great the other thing i found about it was um uh, I, I didn't realise how much differently you need to think about your medical records to verbalise them. I thought it would be relatively easy to stop typing and just talk my way through them. It, it was a big step. Um, I found it very much more efficient where... I, you know, for our standard records, we've got a bit of a template. Um, we tick off the parts of the examination that we do. Um, and maybe for two or three um, body systems or whatever, we would uh, make a couple of lines. I found it more difficult to do that. But as soon as I got, um, you know, to sort of more than a paragraph, it became markedly more efficient to dictate the, the, uh, the, the text that I want recorded um, in the medical record than it was to type it out. And the other thing about it that I found, Brendan, having used a couple of other dictation apps was that it's, you know, it's big claim to fame is how good it is with, um, with veterinary words. That can be one of the most difficult things with dictation software. And I found that um, to be, you know, we've, we've had some... Uh, um, Tech, uh, voice to text 
uh, um, applications do this podcast, and we find it quite hilarious to read over the the uh, the written text of our podcast afterwards because bloody hell, it's not even close. Um, but um, but certainly, talker to uh, being veterinary specific um, was uh, was was very very accurate, and and I didn't have to go back and do significantly additional um, editing to the text that yes. I dictated. And basically, for those who of you listening who don't know what this sort of software is, basically you just download an application, um, an app, um, load it on up on your computer. Um, access a microphone and they have some recommended microphones and they sent us one which is a fairly accurate high-end microphone for dictation but you could literally use any microphone i think i don't um i don't know whether you've tried it with any other microphone apart from the one that they i have i've, they give, I've used um our, the microphone we use for our podcast i've also used the microphone in um the the uh the mac that i use at home and um they all they all work really well Yes, and you just click on talk, and you talk, and and I think what, one of the tricks is that um, you tend, and it has an AI sort of system where, whereby you just need to not look at the text as it's typing it out because it works up to a, or over two hundred words per minute um, is how quick it can it quick can cope with your um, speaking and and various lingos and languages. So um, certainly didn't seem to have any problem with our Australian accent, um, and it does have a medical dictionary built in. Um, and the other beauty of it is it has um, the ability to also add words um, that it, if it if it misspells a particular word that you might use in your specialty, for instance, um, you can just simply click on add this word um, to my medical dictionary. And once you've got that in there, it... Um, it's highly likely then to to recognise that straight away after that. So it's, I think, part of the beauty of this particular program is, and, and like you sort of hinted, Mark, I've certainly used a few of these in the past and way back when the, one of the first dictation software companies that that was um, started up is, is still going now, the one called Dragon Dictate, um, I think it was, Dragon Systems, um, been going for, for many, many years. Um, and I've been sort of following how, how that's slowly improved over time, but gee, it's this sort of thing is light years ahead of what what was around, you know, even five years ago. And I think the beauty of it is the simplicity of it, um, the accuracy of it is very good as well, um, and and it's just easy to use. And and I just love the fact, even though I haven't had had this particular, I wanted to connect the mic and and mess around with dictating some um, just some basic test text mark and almost like a at one stage i was thinking of writing a novel um so um i think it would be good to use something like this to dictate a novel um be very interesting um but i think one of the tips of of dealing with something like this which is pretty fast is not look at the uh, at the words that appear on the screen and they do mention in their um 
advice for the training is um you know look off into the distance as you're talking because it 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 learns that um okay you've just finished a sentence um and then it goes back and adjusts that sentence depending on what words are in that sentence um, and the grammar of it so it's um it's it's very clever so um so the the website um yeah i encourage everybody to have a bit of a look we'll have a have a um, link to it talkato.com t-a-l-k-a-t double o.com and um, um, it's specifically targeted for, for veterinary practice management um, in order to yeah set up um, and 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 ramble away and, and get your clinical notes finished in a lot quicker time especially if you're a bit of a hunt and peck with your typing mark I think it's a great a great idea and and I know that a lot of the human medical specialists have been using um, these programs for many years to dictate dictate um, results and um, actually one of the specialists that um, Annie was was going to the neurosurgeon um, he'd dictate his notes in front of us Mark um, for the consults and, and he just used an old dictation machine um, um, a little handheld um, dictation machine and then he'd give it to the um, reception nurses um, and he'd had one full-time receptionist whose job was just to um, type out, um, put her headphones on and listen to what he was um, saying in his little recordings and, and she'd put them into the clinical records um, so you can avoid that whole step there with um, using something like a talker to. But as I say, you, you could use it with any any Word document, any any sort of document, any any program, and I've played with a few of them so far. Um, and anything that we, you can enter text via typing, you can click into the into that um, particular application and, and click on then the talk on the talker to app and away you go mark you can just dictate and away you go so i thoroughly enjoyed it mark and um thank you to talk to for um, um giving us a chance to trial the product and um it's a thumbs up for me mark and and i i feel very positive about it because it i am actually using it in that circumstance brendan where i have a complicated case and i need a bit of an extended um you know and it's not just the the nad or tick box or whatever as soon as it gets like that i've been using it quite a bit so i'm the same as you thumbs up um i think it's saving me some time um and uh and i i think it's also you there's a a bit of uh AI learning going on um, both ways, I reckon. <laughs> I reckon I'm le- getting more efficient at using it the more I use it, um, and there's no doubt it becomes familiar with um, the words and turns of phrases of the people that use it. Yes. So, And I think they offer a free seven-day trial for it um, without having to you know, enter anything silly like a credit card or anything like that. Um, I think that their pricing's on their website. It's sort of a subscription-based um, monthly fee, depending on how many users. Um, and by the look of the price in there, I think it's very affordable. Um, and I think you've looked at a few of the other ones as well, Mark. So I, I, um, you may be able to comment on the the competitiveness of of, of their pricing. But um, I think what I love about it is that the cleanliness of it and how simple and easy and, and also accurate it is to use. So um, it's a very good product in my opinion. And good value for money. Excellent. 
So that's our review for this week. We won't give it a score out of 10 because we did um, – our disclaimer is that they um, we were given the um, software um, for free to try, so we want to be um, independent with all that sort of thing. Having said that, um, even if they didn't give it to us and I did the trial for free, I would still be saying it's an excellent product there, Mark. Um, so our main topic this week is gut stasis in guinea pigs. Um, and I pulled this one out, Mark, because – it's something that I don't know about you, but some of my clients where they have a guinea pig that ends up developing gut stasis or GI stasis, um, the clients are, are quite shocked. Um, they didn't think that guinea pigs would get ileus or gut stasis. Mark, do you find the same? Um, that's You've caught me out of left field. I didn't know where you are headed with that. Um, I... Certainly, I think that um, that our rabbit clients are much more aware. They, um, you know, online forums, whatever, they'll often talk to us about gut stasis and ileus before we even make that diagnosis. But I think you're right. I think that um, many guinea pig owners are are not aware that um, that uh, guinea pigs can get to the point where they have um, some problems with their gastrointestinal motility. Yes. Um, in particular, I'm talking about clients that would have guinea pigs and rabbits and they're, they're often, you know, because rabbits, we see so many rabbits with gut stasis uh, and then they bring in one of their guinea pigs and they say, hey, guess what? Your guinea pig's got gut stasis as well. And I said, oh, can guinea pigs get gut stasis? I said, yes, it's, it's your crap husbandry. Um, it's affectionate. Um, no, being facetious, facetious there. So gut stasis in guinea pigs. So what is gut stasis, Mark? What is ileus? What is it? What is this process that's going on with them? Well, it's an absence of gastrointestinal motility. It's uh, often um, uh, uh, most easily noticed by the absence of the production of stools, um, often uh, followed or associated with an, an absence of ingestion as nothing moves through. The guinea pigs prefer nothing to put in the front end and they stop producing things at the back end. Um, so essentially, the gut stops contracting. The gut, gut ain't working, Mark. <laughs> What's happening there? And so a lot of what we're going to talk about is parallels very much what tends to happen in in the rabbits in that um, how often does this occur um well probably oh maybe it doesn't parallel it probably doesn't <laughs> see as many guinea pigs as rabbits but the underlying cause mark the underlying causes and and um, um reasons why these guinea pigs develop gut stasis i think is is often fairly similar and the obvious one there is Anything, a stressful <laughs> event, a stressful event of any particular kind or an illness of, of, of any kind um, may precipitate GI stasis in a guinea pig. Would you say that's the case that you um, I definitely have um, different organ systems. We've had, um, uh, you know, uh, respiratory uh, guinea pigs that have had pneumonia and they've been the main reason they've been brought in is uh, the absence of the production of stools. We've had uh, um, uh, renal disease, pretty much anything that uh, causes a disturbance to metabolism and particularly if it's associated with a painful aspect, um, then gut stasis may be one of the clinical signs that results in guinea pigs. 
Yeah, so I think the key factor there is similar to rabbits is that um, we look for an underlying cause, what's caused this gut stasis in them. We, we treat the gut stasis because we worry about gut stasis in any of the animals that develop gut stasis because it can be life-threatening if not treated. But we look and say, you know, what has caused the gut stasis in this animal? So what's our signs of gut stasis in guinea pigs, Mark, and is it any different than we we might see in a more commonly seen gut stasis species like the rabbit? Well, I think um, the two obvious ones are the ones we mentioned before, the absence of the production of stools and um, and not always but often uh, an absence of eating, maybe a decrease of interest in food. Um, but additionally, I think um, uh, altered motivation mobility so the fact that the guinea pig will um, often become far less active and pick a particular spot and just sit there um, so so I suppose they they are um, clinical signs that we would associate with uh, gut stasis in rabbits as well Some very similar sorts of starting points yes so what do we do mark what do you do when you have this little piggy its gutters struggling you diagnose gut stasis what do you say to the client <laughs> unlucky <laughs> you um the, uh, there are some uh, um interesting parallels the sorts of things that we tend to do is get we do get them into hospital um we uh make sure they're hydrated um that uh the the absence of ingested material um, often results in a degree of dehydration that multiplies the, the severity of the problem. So we get them hydrated. They very often, almost universally, can you think of a time when they are not in pain? Um, I, 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 I'm struggling to think of a time when gastrointestinal stasis is not associated with pain. Um, so we are aggressive with our analgesia, um, fluids, analgesia, and we start putting some stuff in the front end, all the while, as you said before, looking to see if we can um, identify an underlying cause. And, of course, some of those causes are going to be temporary. Um, they might be a stress. There might have been a barking dog at home or, or something that's not lasting. Um, but then we start to look for the things that might be persisting that uh, might prevent us getting a complete resolution or might set us back. Um, and what sort of things do you see that do, um, you know, uh, permanent changes, more chronic changes that lead to to gut stasis in guinea pigs, Brendan? Well, yes, well, lots of things, but you did hint at um, pain being a common factor with these. So we look for issues that may be causing underlying pain. So that might be our other more common issues that we have in guinea pigs, like our urogenital problems, our bladder stones, etc., our urethral stones um, in the boys and the girls. Um, it may be chronic arthritis. And I don't know about you, Mark, but we see an increase in, or I'm diagnosing an increase in number of guinea pigs with osteoarthritis, especially of the hips and the and the stifles, Mark. Um, and I can see you nodding in the video, and I know none of our listeners can. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
perhaps you're not enough, but I don't know. But yes, um, so those sorts of things that, that can potentially cause um, pain with them. So yes, I'm, I'm exactly with you in that the first step is starting to treat those signs that we've got with the gut stasis. So we're using our critical care um, products um, with them. Um, we're starting to do some diagnostics there and that would be potentially doing our basics that we'd consider with any animal. So it would, would be our bloods. It would perhaps be doing obviously our clinical full clinical examination um, listening to see whether or not we have any any gut sounds or not and whether they're decreased or increased um, whether there's any pain when we're palpating the abdomen there whether it looks like we've got any signs of um, early bloat going on there whether it's um, the, the distal gut or the stomach there um, and then as as we have in rabbits when we do start to see some bloating with these animals um, it's much more of a concern than the ones where they're not bloated but just in sort of that classic mild sort of gut stasis um, signs there Mark um, and um, what else do we do and the, and the tricky thing with the fluids too is it's rabbits we, we treat a lot of rabbits with for gut stasis where um, initially we're just going with subcutaneous fluids, Mark, because they cope very well with subcut fluids, um, a big bolus of it um, early on. And guinea pigs, as we know, they've got very tight skin um, there and to give them subcut fluids, um, it hurts. So it's a bit of a challenge getting fluids into um, guinea pigs and, and deciding whether or not we're going to get away with with um, less than um, intravenous or other methods of, of getting that fluid into the circulation and through the body there. Um, but I always say, you know, if the if the if the mouth works, use it, Mark. Um, so you live think, you live by that, Credo. <laughs> Actually, I do enjoy um, I do enjoy a variety of food items. Yes. Um, so if if we can get fluids via the mouth and and it's not a, an at risk patient to to aspirate or regurgitate or whatever, um, then then we'll certainly use it that way. So, but so compared with a rabbit, um, guinea pigs can be certainly more challenging as far as the, the sort of supposed standard treatment regime for for gut stasis do you have any sort of tips as far as that that aspect mark the difficulty of potentially treating them being a guinea pig compared with a rabbit um you've you've highlighted the first one that um getting the fluids in can be uh, uh much more difficult um often we have to think about things like intraosseous catheters because we can't get a vein and um, it, uh, we're unable to get sufficient in subcutaneously. We are always happy to get it in uh, per os um, when we can. And, um, and, and that leads me to make to mention the fact that um, we regularly find that um, teeth are, just as in our rabbits, um, teeth are uh, potentially a triggering event, uh, both causing pain and in the mouth directly, but also uh, affecting the rate at which food gets through the rest of the gut. So um, trying to get your otoscope or endoscope and visualising those teeth, um, uh, being prepared to get a little bit of that uh, material out of the cheek pouch so you can see clearly um, they're important steps to take yes and guinea pigs and dental disease gee that's a that's a headache isn't it mark that's a headache coming on it's a migraine um that they're, they're a bit of a, they're a they are a challenge to deal with and and yes certainly um dental disease is one of the big 
possible causes of the gut stasis in these guinea pigs. Um, I just want to jump in and talk about, uh, uh, whether I actually typed out some show notes this week, as you can see there, Mark. Um, have you had clients bring in or comment about um, their, and we'll broaden it to rabbits as well, um, the vibrators, using vibrators for the guinea pigs with gut stasis. I, I can't um, see that anywhere on these show notes. Oh, you can't see it down the bottom. Vibrators. Jeep guinea pig vibrators. Um, not the sort of vibrators you're you're used to dealing with, Mark. I'm talking about the vibrators a bit like the um, the little little foot massages um, made for humans, um, where people stand on them and they 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 vibrate. And there's a bit of a craze out there. If you do a bit of a, a bit a bit of a Doctor Google search, and you'll see that um, on these forums for both rabbits and guinea pigs, that that some of these owners swear by these um, shoving pop plonking your guinea pig or rabbit on top of one of these little vibrating machines um, and it will help fix their gut stasis. What do you think about that? Have you heard any clients that mention that? Definitely have heard some clients uh, um, uh, report. And it's surprising uh, in my hands that sort of um, intervention doesn't seem to have any effect whatsoever um whether it's gentle abdominal massage or um i I like the idea of um of trying to keep them active that the normal gait um i think and the normal blood flow associated with exercise are likely to um improve some motility passively improve some motility um i don't know that i can um, guarantee that the same thing happens when you um, jiggle the guinea pigs against a, um, a vibrating device. What's been your experience, Brendan? Have you had any um, clients who've uh, gone through this process and and uh, had the um, had success repeatedly? Well, you've said you've had. What do you think the um, the 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 uh, how does it work? What happens? Is it a, um, a stimulation of blood flow? Is it a stimulation of the nerves along the gastrointestinal tract? Are you coming back to me? <laughs> My answer is no. <laughs> I, I put as you realise, I put myself on mute as usual. Um, no, they. What's the theories that the clients say is that it can be anything from um, it stimulates the gut to get working again. Um, it it helps separate the gas from the fluid. Um, so it's a bit like using those you know those little vibrating little mechanisms you had at uni when you're in lab, the lab laboratory um, f- um, for separating um, solutions and precipitates, etc. in chemistry. Can you remember those sort of little um, vibrating, what, what are they called? Um, a little um, a vessel vibrator or something, who knows? Um, so uh, the theory is that, yeah, that it might do something like that. Um, yeah, I haven't ha- had any of the clients mention that it would help stimulate the nerves, etc. So, yeah, as far as what I think of them, I think, yeah, it does nothing. You get a you know, guinea pig milk, milkshake. Um, and and to your thought is, yeah, keeping the animal moving, I think, that, um, is thought to um, perhaps help with um, help with um, 
a very small amount with um, keeping the keeping the um, the body moving and and the gut moving as well. So you know, I, I think they got more chance of it working if they connect up a, a, a motorized hamster wheel, Mark, and and shove the guinea pig in that and make it um, run. <laughs> I, I, I do think that's um. There's an element of truth to that. I think um, the the the, um, the the rhythm and blood associated blood flow do have a, a positive effect on the gastrointestinal tract. Um, it's uh, uh, keeping them mobile is an important thing. I don't know that, um, like you said, I, I can't I can't say that I've had great success with um, with the application of those devices. We've had it go a couple of times because, as you said, it's quite popular um, on many of the forums online, um, but I I, um, I don't know that I'd, I'd be working hard to do that. I'd be spending the time while the animals were in hospital doing other things. Yes, and it's not dissimilar to some of the other you know, um, I was going to say something I shouldn't there. Um, other products that people talk about um, with some of those species, the classic other one that always jumps to mind with guinea pigs is the, the chin sling, Mark, um, the chin sling to stop um, dental disease in, in guinea pigs. So um, I, th- I think they should get rid of the chin sling and, and go for a gin sling um, <laughs> instead. Uh, it's got more chance of working. I was going to mention one final thing before um, I can see Mr. Outro Man just moving into the room. Um, uh, vitamin C, Brendan, our, um, our guinea pigs, many of the guinea pigs that we get to see, that we get through an event like this, um, we find that um, they may have non-specific issues uh, associated with uh, who, but they seem to respond to um, to supplementary vitamin C um, so I, that's always something I make sure that we follow up with afterwards using the wonderful um, Oxbow products um, we make sure that uh, they're not deficient in vitamin C and they don't have those connective tissue or metabolic problems that could be associated with it Yes, I don't think you can go wrong with vitamin C in an unwell guinea pig, Mark, as far as supplementation. Um, and I think it's a, a good friend, Dr. Deb, um, really pushes that, um, Dr. Deb, Deb Monks from Brisbane. And um, she has done for many years and um, she's a wise person there, Mark. Yes, vitamin C deficiency supplementation yes um, most definitely um so no other comment no, nothing else about any, any other sort of pearls of wisdom mark for gut stasis in guinea pigs um no 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 mr <laughs> outro's here thank you all for listening we'll talk to you all next week vetgurus.com Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Vet Gurus.